Good morning, everyone. How many are happy to be in God's house this morning? Can you say amen? God is good. All the time. <laughs> it's good to be with you here today. Um, my wife is preaching at our church, Lineage Church in uh, El Cerrito. Uh, two days ago, we celebrated our 22nd wedding anniversary. So, praise the Lord. That song that you sang, the second song, The Goodness of God. Uh, every time we sing that song, my wife just cries her eyes out. Because she just thinks back on the faithfulness of God throughout her entire life. How many know that he's been faithful? You can say, all my life, he's been faithful. All my life, you've just been so, so good. We're going to talk about uh, the faithfulness of God a little bit here today. I'm going to read a passage of scripture here from Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. I'm reading from the New King James Version, in case you're interested. Uh, Acts chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. The scripture says, Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple. Who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, Look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. Father, speak to us today by the power of your word and spirit, I pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. I want to talk to you today about miracles on the way. Peter and John were on the way to church. We actually don't know anything about what happened when they got to church. We only know about the miracle that happened on the way to church. We don't know if anything significant happened in that service when they got there, but we do know what happened to them on the way. Sometimes what God does through us and for us and to us on the way somewhere is more significant than what happens when we get there. But we tend to be so focused on the destination, on where we're going, and so frustrated about our, our, our inability sometimes to reach our destination that we become completely inattentive to what the Holy Spirit wants to do on the way. What the Holy Spirit wants to do on the way is always a disruption. Peter and John had a destination. It was the ninth hour. It was time to go to the temple. They were going to a church service at the temple at the ninth hour. They had a schedule to keep. They had to be on time. They were the speakers at the service. And all of a sudden, Peter senses the Holy Spirit drawing his attention to this lame man, this beggar on the side of the road, right outside the temple. There are a whole bunch of lame people out there. There are a whole bunch of beggars out there. But Peter felt drawn to stop and give his attention to this one beggar. 
Peter had to have enough sensitivity to the Holy Spirit to know when the Holy Spirit was prompting him to disrupt his busy schedule to give his attention to something that he normally would not have given his attention to. Because most of the time, when we see homeless people, you don't even want to make eye contact. Because eye contact creates obligation. Peter stops and makes eye contact. He gives his attention, his full attention, to something that is a dis. Sometimes our focus on our destination is the disruption to what God actually desires to do in and through our lives. Sometimes our inability to be sensitive to what the Holy Spirit wants to do on the way disrupts the clear work of God, the things that he's planned for us. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 First it says, by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. But then he goes on to say, but you are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God himself ordained for you to walk in since before the foundation of the world. Meaning there are works that God has ordained for you to walk in before the foundation of the world, that you only become aware of if you remain attentive to the Spirit of God as you walk, as you go. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 28, you know, verse 19. First in verse 18, he's got his disciples on the Mount of Olives. His earthly ministry has just come to an end. He's getting ready to ascend into heaven before their very eyes. And the last thing he says to them is, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, you go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. But if you look at the grammatical construction there in the Greek, what is implicit is that Jesus is actually saying, go into all the world and as you go, make disciples. Just on the way, along the way. It's, discipleship's not a destination, it's a journey. It's a pathway. As you go, I've got miracles that I've destined you to walk in on the way. We're so focused on getting to where we want to get that we miss what God wants to do on the way. And you know, as God was stirring my heart with this word this morning, I was thinking about so many illustrations, so many examples in my own life where the Holy Spirit disrupted something that I was trying to accomplish, something that I was trying to complete, and I had a choice to either focus on where I was trying to go or allow the Holy Spirit to disrupt my plans. And whenever I've allowed the Holy Spirit to disrupt my plans, I've seen God work miracles on the way. <laughs> I was thinking about, I had, a, I had a peculiar gift of the Holy Spirit. I had an ability, thank God he's lifted this thorn from my flesh. But I had the ability to blow out the back of my pants with great power. First time it happened, I'll never forget, it was 2009, Easter Sunday. And I had a prayer meeting with the leaders before the service started. I lived 30 minutes away. 
15 minutes before the service started. I just finished the prayer meeting, said amen, saw a bottle of water at my feet, bent down to pick it up, and pow, the back of my pants exploded with such force that it was like somebody had shoved a grenade down the back of my pants. It didn't just pop the seam. It exploded. They shredded. These pants were done. And so now I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, I've got to preach the Easter sermon, so I'm going to walk around like this all day, right? And I go to my office, and somebody uh, knocks at the door 10 minutes later, a guy in the church. We happened to be the same size. He had run home and grabbed one of his suits. He says, here, Pastor, put this on. I said, oh, thank God. He saved my life Easter Sunday. But another time, I had a pair of pants that were a very, very thick wool. And I bent down to pick something up, and it just popped the back seam. I mean, they said Mary and Barry had a crack problem. Uh, this was like, pow, and the seam just popped. But these were repairable. So I thought, I am going to take these pants back to the men's warehouse, and they're going to repair the seam. So I hung them up in my closet, and every week I'd look at them and go, I am going to take them to the men's warehouse. I also have the gift of procrastination, so I, I, um, and that gift is strong in me. And, and this went on for months. I kept looking at these pants going, I am going to take these to the men's warehouse and have them repair the seam. And I'll never forget it. It was a Saturday morning. I was relaxing at home, and all of a sudden, this overwhelming sense, I got to take those pants right now. So I jumped up, and I grabbed the pants and I drive to the men's warehouse, and I go into the men's warehouse and explain what happened. They said, leave them with us. We'll fix it. Don't worry. And as I was leaving, I walked out Stone Ridge Mall in Dublin. As I walked out the doors, I'm walking to my car, and I hear these two kids behind me. And one of them says, I'm sick of people talking to me about the Bible. Those guys were sleeping with their brothers and sisters anyway. And I knew why the Holy Spirit had led me to take those pants. It wasn't about the pants. It was about these kids. And I turned around and I walked up to the kids. And the kid who said that was looking at me like he wanted to do something to me. What you want? He's looking me up and down like, he, you know. And I said, hey, I just heard you guys talking to the, about the Bible. Uh, can I talk to you guys for a minute? And the one kid started to say, no, man, get out of here. But the other kid said, sure, we'd love to hear what you have to say. I did a 45-minute Bible study with these two kids, and both of them took hands and received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior at the end of that conversation. I thought it was about the pants. It wasn't about the pants. It was about a divine appointment with two kids. Sometimes God gives you an unction to get your pants fixed because he's got two kids that are ready to enter into the kingdom, and we're not aware of the fact that it's not about the pants. There was another situation. I was in uh, Virginia, in, in Virginia Beach, I was a student at Regent University at the time, and I was on my way to a doctoral seminar that was transpiring at some hotel somewhere. I don't even remember why it was not on campus, but I was late to said seminar, and I was rushing, and as I was rushing up the steps to find my seminar and to get into it, a man stops me and says, excuse me, are you here for the seminar? I said, yes, I am. And he goes, the such and such seminar? I said, no, 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 no. I'm here for the seminar on something else, and I'm actually late. And he goes, well, I don't know why, but I feel led to tell you my life story. And the first thought that flashed through my mind was, ain't nobody got time for that. Ain't your life story? Ain't nobody got time to hear your life story? I'm late for my seminar. But I felt the Holy Spirit nudge my heart and said, listen to this man. So I said, okay, go for it. 
And so he starts telling me about how he was abused as a child, how he, he was rejected by his parents and especially his mother, and how he was called stupid and retarded, and, and, and he was beaten because he was a dyslexic, but he was undiagnosed. He had dyslexia, but he was undiagnosed. So he would look at words, and they would scramble, and he couldn't unscramble them, and he was called stupid, and he was beaten at home, and then he was beaten by his teachers, and he starts telling me about his upbringing. And the whole time I'm thinking, Lord, where is this going? I'm going to miss this whole seminar. And the Holy Spirit says, just listen to this man. So I kept listening. And he got all the way to his adulthood, and he said, I, got, I, I found this church, and my pastor said to me one day, come to my office, I think I can help you. And I came to my pastor's office, and he sat me in a chair, and then he sat an empty chair between us and said, imagine your teacher's in that chair. Say whatever you need to say to your teacher. And he said, I screamed and I cried and said, how could you treat me that way? Then he said, imagine your mother's in that chair. And I screamed and I yelled and I cried, said, how could you talk to me that way? I was your child. I was your son. Now imagine your dad's in that chair. And I screamed and I cried. And I said, how could you treat me that way? And the pastor said, now imagine God is in that chair. And he said, when he said that, everything in me stopped. And I fell out of the chair onto the floor. And I wailed and I screamed like I had never wailed and screamed before in my life. And I screamed at the chair, where the hell were you? And when he said that, I knew exactly why God wanted me to listen to this man. Where the hell were you? How could you have allowed me to walk through that and you never showed up? Where were you? And I said, wait, 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 stop right there. Did he give you an answer? He goes, yeah, yeah, he did. I said, okay, what's the answer? Well, he told me he was there and he was with me and he was feeling for me. I said, no, no, that's not the answer. What's the answer? Where was he? He goes, yeah, he was watching me and he was there. I said, no, that's not the answer. And I looked him in his eyes and I said, let me tell you the answer. He was on the cross. When you were being beaten, he was being beaten. When you were being rejected, he was being rejected. He was on the cross suffering with you. He was not watching you feeling sorry for you. He was on the cross taking all of your suffering to himself. And every time you were marked, in every way that you were marked, he was marked. And when you see him, when you stand before him, he's going to show you the marks in his hands and in his feet and in his side and say, every place where you were marked, I bore your grease, I carried your sorrows. And when I said this, the man fell apart and started to weep. And he said, all my life, the cross was a distant thing to me that made no sense. I saw it as the isolated suffering of Jesus. Now the cross suddenly is beautiful to me because I see that, actually, no, no, no. I left him weeping there. He fell apart and wept, and I left. I went to my seminar. But he goes, give me your email address. I gave him my email address, and he emailed this to me. He said, all of a sudden, the cross is meaningful to me because I see it not just as the isolated suffering of the Messiah. I see it as his suffering for me and with me, him taking my griefs and bearing my sorrows. The cross is beautiful to me now. He says, now, I went to church on Sunday. We were singing, at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away. You know what? I don't remember anything that happened at that seminar that day. I don't even remember what the seminar was about. 
I don't remember if me being late penalized me and I got a lower grade. I don't remember what the fallout was, and I don't think anybody remembers that seminar, but I remember that man. I remember what God did on the way to the seminar. I remember the disruption. The thing that I thought was important wasn't important. God says, I've got miracles on the way. On the way. But you've got to allow me to disrupt you. Because sometimes the question of, of where are we going? What's the vision for our church? What's God going to do now? We don't have a pastor. Where are we going? What's God going to do? Where are we, what's the next step for us? Where are we going? Maybe that's not important. Maybe God wants you to be a church on the way. Maybe what God is going to do through you and to you and for you on the way to the next step of your destiny is more important than where you're going. As you go. Make disciples. Because God is a lot like my daddy. My daddy, he had this thing where he would pick us up and he would drive. And he would never tell us where we were going. Daddy, where are we going? Silence. It's none of your business. I'm driving. We're going wherever the heck I'm t I take you. When we get there, that's when you'll know where we're going. And I remember, it used to, I remember one day, one Friday, my dad picks us up from school, which was strange because my dad typically was not the guy who picked us up from school because he worked. My uncle typically took us home. And this one day, my dad picks us up, and I had this after-school routine where, you know, I'd get home about 3.30, I'd have a bowl of cereal, and I would watch DuckTales, Thundercats, you know what I mean? I, I'm a child of the 90s. Yeah, that was, you know, that was in the 90s when I was in high school, right? And um, my dad picks us up, so I'm thinking I'll get home just in time for Thundercats and that bowl of cereal. And I'll never forget, we, we go right past our street. I said, Dad, where are we going? No answer. And so I'm thinking, he's got to be going to the store or someplace I don't want to go. So I said, Dad, can I just get out up, up, up here and just walk home? No response. Just drives right past. And now when he drives past that second street, all of my hopes of going home are just out the window. Thundercats, gone. Ducktails, no possibility. Then he gets on the freeway. I thought, oh, Lord. Heading towards East Oakland. Oh, Lord, I'm thinking, we're going to the ghetto. We're going to Mama's house. My grandmother lived in the projects. It was her ministry. We couldn't get her out of the projects. And that was her ministry. I'm like, well, that's your ministry. I, that ain't my ministry. <laughs> I'm scared every time we go in there. So I'm thinking, oh, man, we're going to the ghetto. But he gets off at the Oakland Coliseum exit. And we pull into the parking lot of the Oakland Coliseum, and all of a sudden I'm thinking, huh, what are we doing here? And he shows a VIP pass, and they direct us right to the VIP parking, and they escort us into the arena, take us down to the floor. We had front row seats to watch the Golden State Warriors play the Detroit Pistons. And Isaiah Thomas was my hero at the time, and he was right in front of me. And Manute Bowl was skyhooking. And I thought, I'm so glad I'm not home watching DuckTales and Thundercats and eating a bowl of cereal. This is so much better than my bowl of cereal, and this is so much better than Thundercats and DuckTales. 
simply trusting that the Father has the destination in mind. He knows where we're going. That's not a question. He's in charge of that. The only question for me is do I trust him enough to get me to my destination, to stay attentive on the way? You know the story of the Good Samaritan. Jesus tells this parable of a man who went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among thieves. Basically, he gets robbed. And not only robbed, but beaten and left for dead. He's on the side of the road. And two men of God pass right by him, first a Levite and then a priest. And they see him and they cross the street. Why do they not stop and help the man? He's a Jew, just like them. He's not a Samaritan. He's a Jew. One of their own countrymen, one of their own people. They're on the way to church. They're on the way to the temple. They're on the way to serve God. They're on the way to do their duty to the Lord. They can't be distracted. They can't be stopped. They can't be disrupted in their service to the Lord. And so they go around him. But the good Samaritan, what made him good was his willingness to be distracted. His willingness to be disrupted. His willingness to take a detour. If you're willing to allow God to disrupt you, to distract you, to stop you temporarily on the way to your destination, you'll see miracles on the way. Miracles on the way. Miracles on the way. My wife's favorite passage of scripture, my wife has one tattoo. And uh, it's on her shoulder. And it says, don't be afraid, just believe. This is what Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue. This man, watch this. Watch how unfair Jesus is. This man knows Jesus is coming, so he gets there early, waits at the dock, waits in line. Got there so early, he's at the front of the line. Jesus gets out of the boat, and the man says, please come to my house. My daughter is sick and dying. Please come heal her. Jesus says, all right, let's go. On the way, the woman with the issue of blood sees Jesus passing by and thinks to herself, if I touch the hem of his garment, I'm going to be made whole. So she leaves her house, presses through the crowd, touches the hem of his garment, feels in her body that she's healed, and Jesus stops and says, which one of y'all touched me? And the disciples go, everybody's touching you. He goes, no, 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 no. Somebody touched me in faith. I felt power leave my body. And the woman thought she had done something wrong, so she came and fell at the feet of Jesus, trembling, and said, it was me. And she confesses everything. I had an issue of blood. I was bleeding for 18 years. I've tried everything, every physician, every treatment, every doctor, every medicine. Nothing could cure me. But when I saw you, I thought, if I touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. And guess what? I touched the hem of your garment, and I'm completely healed. Now, if you're Jairus, you're thinking, we ain't got time for this. My daughter is right at the point of death. She could die any minute, and Jesus is stopping. And I guarantee you, this was no five-minute stop. This woman told her whole life story. 
And Jesus stopped to hear it. And then Jesus says, go in peace, daughter, your faith has healed you. Your faith has made you well. And as they turn to head to Jairus' house, messengers meet them on the way and say, don't trouble the teacher anymore. Your daughter is dead. And Jesus turns to Jairus and says, first it says, ignoring what they said. Jesus looked at Jairus and said, don't be afraid. Just believe. If I were Jairus, I'd have been mad. Because you stopped to have a conversation about the healing that you just did. My daughter's dead. We're too late. There was a disruption. Jesus allowed himself to be disrupted. He allowed himself to be distracted. Why? Because there was a miracle on the way. But this is the faith of Jesus Christ. He knew that allowing himself to be deterred, distracted, and disrupted by what God is doing on the way can never stop him from arriving at his destination. Did you hear that? That if it's truly God that's disrupting you on the way, there's absolutely no way that you're going to fail to reach your destination. There's absolutely no way that you're going to get there and discover that it's too late. It's never too late for God. Matter of fact, God often waits till it's too late. The greatest miracles are the too late miracles. Don't trouble the teacher. The girl is dead. Jesus is like, oh no, it's just now about to get good. He waits when he hears that Lazarus is sick until he's been in the grave for four days. Okay, now it's time to go. Jesus is never in a rush. He's never in a hurry because he knows that nothing can stop him from doing what he has determined to do. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Do you become afraid when something disrupts your progress, when something stops you on the way? You get frustrated when something hinders your progress, hinders you from reaching your goal, from pressing to the next level, stops you on the way. Listen, when there's a disruption, when something stops you on the way, that's when we must become attentive to God. You must have a miracle that you want to show me on the way. You must have something that you want me to do on the way. Are you willing to turn aside? You remember Moses, when he sees the burning bush, he turns aside. He's got a job to do. He's got to watch these sheep, but he turns aside to see the miracle. He turns aside to go to the burning bush. Are you willing to turn aside for the burning bushes that God sets ablaze in the periphery of your life? It's not related to where you're going. It's not related to what you're doing. It's not related to your ministry. It's not related can I tell you something? That I left my congregation to come here this morning. You know why? Because I felt the Holy Spirit say, turn aside. But God, I'm in the middle of a series. Only two sermons into that series, and I felt the Holy Spirit say, turn aside. Jason called me and asked me to come talk to you guys. I'm like, Jason, I can't do it. I'm in the middle of a series. We're trying to rebuild. We just went through a financial crisis. We spent $3.25 million refurbing this facility in El Cerrito, and then the bottom fell out of our finances. We had to let go of 7 out of 10 of our full-time staff members. We're still trying to rebuild. This isn't the time for me to be going over here to Redwood City. And I said no to him at first, and then I felt the Spirit of God check my heart. I said, no, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. When do you need me there? 
when do you need me there? Am I willing to turn aside? Am I willing to set my vision aside for God's vision? Am I willing to put my plans on hold for God's plans? Am I willing to put his kingdom first? That's when you begin to see miracles on the way. Miracles on the way. The miracles on the way call you to a higher place of faith. Always. Invite you to see the kingdom of God break out in a way that transcends what you thought was possible. I never forgot. I'll never forget. I was a Bible college student. I'm driving home from school one day. And as I'm driving, I see chaos, a scene. There's a woman laid out in the street screaming and a baby about 10 feet from her laid out screaming and a crowd gathering around them and a car. It's obvious what happened. The car hit the woman. The woman went flying. She was holding a baby. The baby went flying. Both of them hit the ground. And the woman is holding her legs. Looks like she's got two broken legs. She can't stand. She can't move. The baby is screaming and crying. And the crowd is just standing around. And I heard the Holy Spirit say, pull over and go pray for that woman and that baby. And I said, oh, oh, sorry, Lord. I, uh, I don't have time. I've got to be somewhere. And I drove right past them. And the Lord said, go back and pray for that woman. I was like, oh, well, Lord, that's kind of a, I mean, what if they don't want to be prayed for? I mean, there's a crowd there, and I start coming up with all these excuses. And the Lord said, go back and pray for that woman. By this time, I'm about a mile past them. Finally, I just say, you know what? If I get humiliated, I get humiliated. But at least I'm going to try to be obedient to God. And I turned around, went back, got out of my car, pressed through this crowd, walked up to this woman, and she's screaming and crying. I said, excuse me, can I pray for you? I mean, like, what are you saying that? Sister? She didn't even look at me. She was like, ah, screaming and holding her leg. And with zero faith, I put my hand on her shoulder and went, Lord, Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you touch and heal this woman by your spirit, your power. The most faithless prayer. I would like to say that I went in there like this. A man of God is here. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> I was scared to death. I thought, let me just say a quick prayer and get out of here so I could say I obeyed God. While I'm praying, the woman gets quiet. The crowd gets quiet. The baby stops crying. I open one eye. I open the other eye. The woman's looking at me. I said, how do you feel? She said, the pain is gone. I said, what do you want to do? She said, I want to get up. I stretched out my hand, lifted her up. She picked up her baby. Her baby smiled at her, and the two of them walked off. And then I'm, look, I'm standing there like, what am I supposed to do now? And the crowd walked. And I'm like, wait, wait, gee, uh, Jesus, what? I'm like, I'm supposed to preach the gospel or something. I didn't know what to do, but everybody left. And I got in my car, and I left too, and I thought, wow, God. I've been wanting to see miracles at church all my life I've been praying, God, show us your glory in the church. When I get to the church, 
when we have a church meeting, do some miracles in the church meeting, touch the people in church. But sometimes the greatest miracles that God will ever show you are the ones that are on the way to church. Romans chapter 8, verse 14 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. You have the right to be led by the Spirit of God. And when we're led by the Spirit of God, we're not trying to create anything, pre produce anything, manufacture anything. We're simply asking God, here I am, what would you have me to do? If you need me, I'm listening. I'm attentive. What would you say to me? What would you need me to do? And sometimes it's simple and ridiculous at the same time. Like there was an old lady walking up the street one day, and I had just gotten uh, some cash out of the bank, and I heard the Lord say, give her $100. I walked up to her and handed her a $100 bill, and she started crying. She said, the Lord told me to walk up this street, and he would make provision for my need. I have no clue what her need was. Led by the Spirit, that's all. And when you're led by the Spirit, sometimes you, you'll never know until you get to glory how God used you, what God did through you, what God did in you. When you're led by the Spirit of God, it doesn't matter what it looks like. It doesn't matter what it feels like. The circumstance doesn't matter. The situation doesn't matter because God is always working. Romans 8, 28, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who are the called according to his purpose. And we know that in all things, that excludes no thing. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who are the called according to his purpose. So wherever I am, God, I know you're working good. I know you're here and I know you're working good. Lord, I am your workmanship. I'm created in Christ Jesus for good works, which you yourself ordained for me to walk in since before the world began so you just show me if you've got anything here show me if you've got nothing here I'll move on I'm not trying to create anything I'm not trying to manufacture anything I'm not trying to walk around prophesying over people and pretending I'm something I'm not I don't need to do anything and I don't need not to do anything just lead me lead me lead me the Holy Spirit will lead you and he'll lead you in every area of your life. He'll lead you in your business decisions. He'll lead you in your investments. Sometimes he'll lead you right into the eye of a storm. I'll never forget, in 2007, the Lord worked miracles for my wife and I to buy our first home, not realizing that 45 minutes later, the bottom would fall out of the, econo of the economy and the whole housing market would collapse. By the time that house short sold, it sold for less than half of what we paid for it. I remember just crying out to God like, what happened there? Well, thanks for looking out for a brother. I mean, why would, you, why, would, why would you make a way for me to walk into this storm? And the Lord says, because many members in your congregation are getting ready to lose their homes. I'm sending you ahead of them to show them what it looks like for a man to walk through this storm in faith. Now you go to church next Sunday and you tell your church to watch what I do for you. Watch how you walk in faith. I've made you an example. I've sent you ahead of them. Sometimes God sends you into the storm because there's a whole community behind you who needs to see somebody walk through a storm in faith. 
miracles on the way. And that means that no matter where you are, no matter what you've experienced, no matter what you face, God has not abandoned you. He has not turned his back on you. He has not left you. He's got so much more to do in you, through you, and for you. On the way. Let's pray. Precious Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for each and every one of these sons and daughters of yours, whom you've called by your name. I pray that whatever was spoken today that is from you would be like a firmly embedded nail. Scripture says that the words of the wise are like firmly embedded nails. And I pray that whatever was spoken here today from you would be embedded in our souls today. That nothing the enemy would do would ever remove it. Strengthen and encourage your people today. Inspire your people to be attentive to you on the way. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.